You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your legal to vote host, Mason, and am I legal to have his own driver's license and drive past 11 o'clock co-host, Trey? I don't even know what any of the stuff is that you just said. <laughs> I was going to try to think of a joke to go along with your intro, but you said nonsense that I do not understand. So when you're 18, you're allowed to vote in America. That's true. And then you're also allowed to drive any time of night in the state of Tennessee once you're past 18. That must be a law that happened after I was 18. <laughs> and I, it might be like county to county, but there are some places where like if you're younger, you can't drive like past 11. Yeah. This has been your even odd civics lesson for Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is an important happen in town. We banned wobbling in melee. I don't even know what that is still. You've been talking about it for a week and I still don't know what it is. Honestly, that was going to be my wrap up if you hadn't come up with a wow okay. I was going to talk about how absurd it is. It's great. <laughs> if you're in melee, you know what I'm talking about. But we have some more important things to talk about. We have five helpful facts we're going to go over today. I think it's pretty exciting, but we got to talk about our sponsor first because they come first. As always, the Wayfinder Travel Agency does come first, and they want to make sure that you have a great time this summer when it's time to go on your vacation. And so they're back with this summer's must-see experience for the adventurous traveler, and that is the Buried Alive Golgari Cave Rave. The Wayfinder Travel Agency is here to remind you that there ain't no party like a Golgari party because a Golgari party's underground. So get ready to pledge allegiance to Ravnica with the Wayfinder Travel Agency's Golgari Cave Rave. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had not heard that one <laughs> until right now. And I can't believe you didn't tell me sooner so I couldn't buy my ticket to the Golgari Cave Rave. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss it. It, I, I'm thinking about pausing the podcast to go buy some tickets right now. It's yeah. so exciting. Yeah, Craig's already picked up ten of them. Love it. Craig would have rave tickets, that's for sure. <laughs> but let's hop right into this week's episode, uh, our main topic. So for this week, we're doing kind of an interesting episode. A little clickbaity in the name, <laughs> to be fair. But we have five helpful tips for when you're starting to grind. And basically the idea behind this episode is we realized that there were things that we wish we had been told when we first started grinding, right? And these are just kind of like five helpful tricks. And things that we would like to do episodes on, but some of them we feel don't deserve to have, like, a full, like they can't carry an episode on their own. But we also feel like they're helpful things we want to talk about. So we kind of got five of them together for this episode. And Trey, do you want to kick us off with the first one? Sure. Are we going to do these in any kind of particular hierarchy, or are we just going to go in rapid fire? I would say the only, I would say the last one is the one that I think matters the most. Okay, great. But the rest are just in there. Well, then let's talk about the first one, then. Something that I think that this applies not only to magic, but also just to good decision-making in general, is that there are a lot of things that you have to make decisions on, and there are a lot of things that can affect what it is that's happening in the game, a lot of things that can affect what's happening in a tournament, and you have control over some of those things, and then you don't have control over some of those other things. And a, a common thing that I see happen with a lot of people, especially starting out, is they get equally mad or more mad about the parts of it that they can't control. And that can detract from them being able to make the decisions or focusing on the things that they can control. And so what do you think about that type of an idea? Yeah, so to kind of bullet point this, we're focusing on focus on what you can control. That's the first one we're talking about here. And that's what Trey was leading in there with. And I think it's interesting to me how upset people get about things they can't control. 
Because to me, what matters more is the things that I can control. Because let's say, for example, I'm playing versus Trey, and he's very lucky. And he were to thought scour himself and hit two birds, and then thought scour himself again and hit two more Arclight Phoenixes. So now he has four, and then he hits me with all of them. I can't control that, right? Yeah. That's just the way the cards shuffled and landed. And right? this may or may not have happened in an RPG. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe that happened to me. Uh, but, but what's more important is, like, what can I do along the way to not lose to those kind of things? What can I do to make sure that I don't make silly mistakes? And if my opponent has a very powerful or lucky draw or whatever, or some, like, Rak- like Rakdos Lord of Riots, like, he flips the coins, and all mine are heads, and all theirs are tails, right? And I get one side, it's like, well, okay, that happened, but that's not the end of the world, right? And it's just... It's just I think it's important to separate yourself from what you can and what you can't control. And don't let the things that you can't control influence you because you can't control them. And all you're doing is wasting time and energy when you can focus on what you can focus on, right? And maybe you were going to lose the game either way when Trey double thought scours himself and hits all his phoenixes, right? But maybe there's something you could have done to make it where Trey doesn't want to cast the thought scour. And then now you've influenced the game another way or any little things. So, Trey, what do you think about that kind of... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that you're hitting on and where this comes up a lot is the idea of variance in magic, right? Mm-hmm. And this comes up with either being mana flooded or mana screwed or your opponent hitting the absolute absolute nuts off of their thought scours or whatever other thing there is. Or like you talked about the coin flips or another place that it comes up are pairings, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm good against these decks and not against these decks. And so the pairings didn't go my way. And so now, you know... Half the the RPTQ. To my left was two salt ties. To my right is two soul ties, and I'm playing against Mono Blue. Right, yeah. Yeah, the, the the decks that you want to play against are near you, but you didn't hit the pairings, right? When that round draw in the top eight. Exactly. It happens. But you don't have the control <laughs> over that, right? Yeah. Like, the, the pairings just happen, and then you have to deal with it. And if you start off that match thinking about how unlucky you are that you're not playing against the soul tie decks, then you're not going to be trying to figure out how to win against the blue deck that you are playing against. Yeah. Um, and the, the flip side of it is, too, is that we get so focused on that the negative aspects of variance as opposed to seeing that like variance is part of the game that makes us keep playing it over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Is that otherwise all the games would be the same every time you played them out and it would become less interesting when you're playing them out in, uh, overall. And a lot of the times you're making the decision makings to try to push the variance in your direction, right? Like I'm going to keep this hand because I've got this kind of statistical odds that I'm going to draw the land that I need or whatever, you know, uh, that's part of the decision making that goes into the game. And getting focused on only the negative parts of that experience instead of the positives um, is just bleeding value throughout the course of a tournament. 100%. I really want to hit on this uh, variance point because I think it's super important and doesn't get brought up enough in card games, in conversations, especially on competitive podcasts. So I have a pretty hot take when it comes to this. And I'm not, it's not joking. I think variance is good for card games, just in general. I don't think coin flipping all the time is good. Like, I, I don't think having, if every card in every set had a Rakdos Lord of Riots, I wouldn't really like it, especially if they were playable. But having a Rakdos Lord of Riots can lead to some cool and memorable moments, right? And that's obviously more overt variance. But there's variance as soon as you decide to play Magic, right? You put 60 cards, you shuffle them up to be a random order, and you draw 7 cards, and you draw a different card every turn. That's a lot of variance, and that's what makes them so good. Part of the problem with Hearthstone is that because of their mana system and just the way the game plays out, a lot of the games play the same. And that's a criticism of Hearthstone is that it can become samey, excuse me, at times. Magic, while that can sort of happen, there's so much more randomness and variance going on that it's fine. And it shouldn't be something that you should be upset about. You should be like, man, it got me this time, but it's going to get someone else the next time, right? Like, that's just the way variance works is you only remember the bad parts because that's how your brain evolved 
in nature is to remember the bad things so you avoid them and to the good things you just subconsciously like. And so you notice when variance hurts you, not when it helps you. And the best part is, or the, the best part about like not even being able to notice this is sometimes you don't even notice, right? Like you're playing against your opponent, they're very silent the entire round. And then they concede, they slam their stuff in the gap and walk away. You don't know that they drew all their things that they had to have in their deck to two to four for amulet tide and they couldn't kill you that turn. You just don't know because they didn't say anything, right? And this is like another example of where you're not paying attention, where you can't even know about the variance and how it's affecting you. So I think that's one way for sure to focus on what you can control. But I think there's another one. There's okay. a second part to this that needs to be talked about. And that's uh, a term from fighting games called No Johns. So if you watch the Smash Brothers documentary on YouTube, uh, which I think you should if you haven't already, it's a great watch, Trey. And <laughs> there's this, this term in fighting game called Johns, which are basically excuses, right? It's like, oh, the light was weird on the TV. My, my C-stick didn't work. Oh, your character's busted. Oh, look at that item that dropped, right? And that's excuses. And that happens in Magic. And you, we touched on it a little bit with the pairings, but I think it can go even deeper when it comes to like mana screwed and mana flood and that kind of stuff. So, Trey, what do you think about like the terms no excuses, no John, that kind of stuff? No, I'm all for it. And, you know, it, it again, Magic is a series of constant problem solving, right? Like you have these scenarios that are in front of you and you have these things that are going on and you have to constantly be trying to figure out how to solve the problem in order to win the game, right? And sometimes you're going to do that successfully and sometimes you're not going to do that successfully. But if you didn't do it successfully... That doesn't mean that something bad or external happened that, you know, was this big negative force. It just means that for whatever reason, they solved the problem better than you did or things didn't line up for you. That's not a negative thing that occurred. It just didn't line up that way. And there, uh, most of the time, too, if you go back and look at what it is that you did in decision making, there's likely a different decision you could have made at some point that might have altered the course of the game. And focusing on what you could have improved on through doing it instead of what the negative part is of why you got beat is a more positive way, I think, to try to approach it. 100%. And just to cap on this, some, this is something that I've recently noticed about Magic, and it's really bothered me, and I brought it up to a Lucas listener of the show who was at SCG Indy. I'll, I'll just tell the scenario real quick, just to give an example. So me and Teresa walked up to Lucas, and we asked how his game went. Uh, well, like, what happened? We turned away from a second from watching and talked to a friend, and we came back, and he had lost. And he started to say, like, I lost, and started to, like, not not even John, but, like, ex- like explain his loss. And you don't really have to, like, do that right especially when it's things like well i multiply or we can just be like i lost and we can have conversations about wanting to prove on it but we don't have to have a conversation about like why you lost does that make sense yeah it's like you don't have to justify why it happened exactly right like it, you as your group of friends and and we as magic players as a peer group is something we can try to focus on and do better on too is that just because you lost doesn't mean that we think you're bad at magic or that you did something terrible and so that you have to try to provide some kind of excuse or justification as to why it happened so, to, so that you can continue to acknowledge to yourself and to your peers that you're good at what's happening. You're like, I should have won. I was going to win, but this terrible thing happened, so I lost. Double dive down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? It's that you don't have to justify it to in order for everyone to continue to think that you're good at doing what it is that you're doing. Or that you have validation in doing what it is that you're doing. That type of uh, thinking, there's like a desperation in that. That is not something that's necessary, and, and that's something that we can improve on as individuals when we're playing, and it's something that we can also improve on as a community when we're reacting to people that are that are talking to us about what it is that's going on. And one final point as well is like a button on this issue is like getting mad about these things that you can't control. Is, is this is a kind of a silly analogy, but it's like getting mad at the weather. Like you don't have any control over what the weather's going to be, and instead of getting mad that it's raining, like bring a coat. Like, that's essentially the same kind of thing when you're trying to look at how to approach it from a magic standpoint. Definitely. Especially, like, think about it, too, if it's, like, a 50% chance to rain outside. It's like, well, you knew there was a chance. 
<laughs> Why didn't you bring a coat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that happens when we're playing through games, right? Like, we'll talk through a line, mm-hmm. like, when we're testing or something like that. And it's like, well, yeah, but if they have XYZ, then that line you're going to lose. And so, is there another line that we can take that doesn't expose us to losing to XYZ? We're just exposed to X and Y. Right, so yeah. Like, which is a whole other thing. With, uh, I think that was good on that one. So, let's go on to the next one, which is the kind of the highlight here is not stressing every little thing. And what we mean by that is, so th- this is awkward, right? So I think one thing to remember is that we're definitely talking about if you're first starting to grind a magic, right? Like that, this episode's really targeted on, you've decided like, hey, I want to grind SCGs, the new PTQs, whatever those may be, which at the time of this announcement may have been announced or not. Who knows? It has to be for the PT, which is soon. <laughs> and who knows? Uh, but, you know, it's kind of focused on that. And so I think it's important at a certain point to like, really like stress the little cards and decisions and all these little things we have to talk about. But when you're first starting, if you do stress all these little things we have to talk about, it's not going to help you. So Trey, what are some things that we think you just shouldn't stress so much about and they aren't the end of the world if you get wrong, especially when you're first starting? Yeah. I mean, one of them is like deck choice, right? Everyone leading up to an event is trying to find the best deck for the event, trying to make the metagame call or get the right deck. People beat themselves up so severely off of, I'm, I'm going to pick the wrong deck. And if I pick the wrong deck, I'm, I put myself behind before we even start. And it's very rare in a metagame that there's like one deck, and that's the only deck you should be playing. And for the most part, if you're playing a deck that you have a reasonable plan with, that you have experience playing, that, you, that you're comfortable with what the strategy is going to be, then you're probably going to be in a pretty good position, more so than if you just like somehow stumbled across whatever the best deck is, but you're not particularly experienced with it or anything else. And the points that you get additional are probably pretty small percentage points anyway. So it's not like if you make that decision wrong most of the time that you're just so far out of it that you can't do anything. Yeah. But the reactions that people have make it feel like that's what it is. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? Because we talked about focus on what you can control just a second ago. And now we're saying don't stress the little things like the decks and stuff. Even though, to be fair, decks do play a big role because they affect percentages. But the trick is, is they're only affecting the percent normally at a small amount. Well, those small amounts do matter. But, like, at the end of the day, if you're like, let's say the best deck of this weekend was Gates, right? And if you go into Gates, you're going to have, like, 60% to win the tournament, right? But if you go in with blue-red Drakes, you're going to have a 58. Technically speaking, you should probably pay Drakes if it's, like, all about percentages, right? But Drakes isn't that much worse. And if you know how to play Drakes and you feel confident and comfortable with Drakes... I think that matters more than having the best deck for the weekend a lot of times, especially when you're first starting out. And I really want to stress this, because when you're first starting out, a lot of times the events you're going to play are people who are also just starting out for the most part, right? You have ringers and stuff like that or whatever, but for the most part, they're all probably near you on that kind of experience level. So if you know what you're doing and you have a plan, that kind of stuff, like having the perfect deck doesn't almost even matter, right? Like you can play Infect when Infect's terrible if you're a master of Infect where you know Infect really well. And same with it being the opposite, right? Like, Infect's really good, but you don't know how to play those tight situations. It's better to play Tron. You know, that comes down to not only just, like, deck selection, but, like, specific card choices as well. Like, if you have a, a card in your in your deck that you tested and you thought was a good idea, and then somebody else is like, that's terrible, and then you spend the rest of the tournament worrying about, like, oh, I made a bad choice, and it's like, well, just figure out how to use that card in the way that you had a plan for that card, right? Just go for it. And this kind of ties into also, like, not beating yourself up if there's something that you messed up, right? Like, not only just the the kind of the flip side of not stressing over every little thing is that if you make a little mistake, then also don't just, like, crucify yourself for no reason over the fact that you made some kind of a little mistake in something. 
I love that point. And I want to get to that point because I think that's like the, the button on this thing. But I want to talk about that thing you said right before because I think that's easy to skim over. And that's like the maybe you got something wrong on your sideboard. Trey, say I if you've ever played a big tournament like 15 rounds and not touched a card on your, your sideboard. I. I. Yeah. SCG Indy. Never touched my Carnage Tyrant. Never touched my Banefire. I had a 13-card sideboard for that event. Never touched them. They were probably not needed in the deck, as I learned later. Not the end of the world. Just It just really doesn't matter. And this is something I brought up a lot recently, too. Is PPDQs, too. I, I used to do this a lot back when you could play PPDQs, rest in peace. The 15th card would be something I agonized over, and at the end of the day, I just like, whatever. What matchup do I just not want to play against? And it's like, oh, I don't want to lose to like, the second Sun deck? All right, I'll play my uh, Spell Pierce as my like fifth negate, right? It's just like, I'll pick a card because really, it just isn't the end of the world, right? Because you're not playing at that highest level, that pro tour stuff. And these are things that you'll learn to stress and you'll learn about. But it's more important to figure out plans and things along the way and not worry yourself and stress too much about these little things, right? Yeah, right. More so, especially starting out, it's it's important to have, this is the card that I have, this is the reason that I have that card, and this is the plan that I have for that card. And being able to justify what those decision points are. And you may not be you know, the most optimal decision. It may not be the most optimal choice, but if you're going through that line of thinking, you're putting yourself ahead of the curve from a lot of other people who are who are getting started and doing everything else. And that's also the same type of philosophy and the same type of thinking that you're going to continue to use as you get to the higher ends of grinding and or competitive play or anything else. So having that kind of a mindset as opposed to like focusing so much on whether or not you quote unquote got it right, because even the people who vehemently say whether something's right or wrong, they don't know. They don't objectively know. Right? Everyone's all just trying to make those value judgments as best they can. 100%. But I, I cut you off there, I think, on what is the, the button on this topic. But do you want to go back into that when it comes to, like, record and things like that? Yeah, just the idea that, like, you know, if you fall short of a goal or if you made a wrong decision or you, you know, messed something up or, or something that you would have wanted to go differently and it didn't and, you know, you fall from a different perspective of what it is that you wanted to do and then beating yourself up about having done that. Like, that just gets in your way of trying to succeed onto the next thing, right? Like, and this comes true whether or not it's magic. You're like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do well at this, you know, uh, <laughs> we keep saying PPTQs or PTQs, but, uh, you know, Zorgobits or whatever they're going to be called. No one knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever that is, and then you're like, well, great. And then, you know, if you get negative on yourself or you get mad at yourself or you get discouraged on yourself for having fallen short of that goal, what that makes you do is maybe not go to the next one or not try to push forward onto the next one, right? And and this can also be true, like, not only just in the context of magic, but in life, right? Let's say you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight and you're doing well with it. And then you have a day where you don't do well with it. And you, you know, if you beat yourself up and get negative in that regard, all you're going to do is you're going to continue to spiral, right? And you're not going to just keep fighting through in order to try to get better. 100%, yeah. We can't stress this enough that... There are only so many things. It goes back to the last one, right? It's kind of like a building block here. It's funny how they worked out that way. But you can only control so much, right? Just like we talked about a little bit ago. And beating yourself up for these things and stressing like, oh my gosh, the last round I played so terribly. I threw that round away. And now I don't get to draw into top eight. I have to play two more rounds, right? I mean, like, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. And what do you think is more important at the end of the day, right? Caring that you made that dumb mistake last round or playing better in the next round and keeping a clear mind. Yeah. Oh, and, and this is like the, think about it this way, the flip side of the same coin. Let's say you won last round and you're playing this round. Do you think that winning last round helps you win this round? Obvi. <laughs> in the same way. Yeah. Like losing exactly. last round doesn't help you win or lose this round, right? They're all individual games. 
And the concept, it's hard to think about, but like the concept of momentum, the concept of, of you know, in either direction, like good momentum, bad momentum, that's not a true thing. Like you got to go on a run at some point to win a tournament. You got to have things go your way. But the fact that you won several in a row doesn't make you any more likely or less likely to win or lose the one that you're playing. Yeah, exactly. And so if it doesn't help, if it doesn't help from a positive standpoint, then why would it help from a, you know, why would it hurt from a negative standpoint? But we, we tend to think that one of them's true and the other one's not. And I don't know why that is. Yep. That's perfect. I love that. So let's move on to the third point here. We have focus on your fundamentals. And we kind of talked about this in the last one with not stressing the little things and it's better to have plans for your sideboard. But Trey, what do I mean by your fundamentals? Do I mean like your times tables or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You want to get in there. You want to really try to work the numbers. Yep. And uh, Two times two is four. See? That's where you're starting off great. PPT grinder right here, baby. <laughs> I mean, you know, seriously, magic most of the time is math versus a person. Sure, so. it really is. But yeah. <laughs> um, no, but we're talking about like the, the building blocks of the game, right? It's like the first things that you learn when you're trying to learn how to play the game. Like how to attack, how to block. You know, what the mechanics of the games are, like like the physical, mechanical movements of things, and and working your way, like, through that stuff. The thing is, is, like, I think oftentimes that people will think that they, like, learn that stuff, and then, like, okay, now i got to learn other stuff. It's like, well, no, you have to constantly continue work on the, the basic pieces and principles of the game, too. You know, how when combat math is going to happen, like, how it's going to happen, like, whether you should attack, whether you shouldn't attack, whether you should race or whether you shouldn't. What your role in the matchup is based on what it is right now. And that's not only dependent on what your deck is, but like how the game has structured. Like, you know, you might generally be a control deck, but right now you have to be the beatdown because you're going to lose if you continue to try to operate in the control deck fashion, right? Like, and so identifying those different pieces throughout the course of the game and continuing to focus on those basics and not just thinking only about like the big esoteric parts of it. Yeah, the esoteric parts matter, but what matters more is not missing the little stuff, right? Because in theory, your opponent won't also miss the little stuff, so that's when the esoteric stuff does matter, right? But if they're missing it too, or if they're missing it and you're not, it doesn't even matter, right? I've had this happen a lot, like on Arena, especially in the early ranks, where it's like my opponents aren't attacking me when they should be in like mid-range mirrors. It's just like, well, you definitely were the aggressor, but now I've like landed a Hydra Crisis for 8 and you can't attack. And I've got all these cards and you're like on nothing now. So, good game. So like little things like that matter right you need to be able to like figure out attacks and blocks and it's funny uh because limited isn't played a lot right but limited really stresses and flexes these muscles that's part of why it's it's a factor in why like the better players are normally really good at limited is because they have practiced these skills a lot and limited's a lot about that and combat tricks and math right magic right now is a better game because it's focused more on creatures and less on spells because creatures are harder than spells that's the trick that no one tells you, right? Is that everyone acts like, oh, in the old days, magic was so hard. We, like, used the stack and damage on the stack and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, no, magic's much harder now. We have creatures that attack and block. And it's like these mini math calculations they have to do all the time and, like, figure out what you're going to do. And also, when it's right to, like, make a losing attack to push damage through. I was playing a game against Lucas recently, and I was like, he should have attacked and lost two of his creatures that I would eat for free but put me in a position where if he draws his Vivian and Minuses on my Krasis, he'll win the next turn. Things like that. Those little things matter. But even just beyond attacking and blocking, I want to talk about tapping your mana for a second. How many games, trade do you think we've won because our opponent mistapped their mana? And how many have we lost because we mistapped our mana? So many. 
So, so many. Can't count them. Um, I mean, I, I can... Just can't of, count my own that I've lost. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can think of two good examples that kind of come sum this up. One is I was playing in a, a Legacy Open back when Legacy Opens existed. What's Legacy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a dead format that old people like. Um, <laughs> oh, it's like Bad Modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I know that one. <laughs> but I was, I was playing Show and Tell. Surprise, surprise. Um, and my opponent was playing uh, a control deck. And it was a big counter war over a, a thing that was going to, to decide the game. And it was a, a big stack. There were like six different counter spells on the stack. And I had a fetch land. And I had not popped my fetch land at the beginning of all of these things happening. And I had fetchable lands in my deck, but I did not have fetchable red mana in my deck. And at one point, I was going to win the battle, but I needed a red mana to cast Red Elemental Blast. One red mana to counter blue spells. <laughs> and I popped my fetch, had no fetchable lands, which I had all of the information to establish that. Like, before this all started. And if I would have just, like, done the things in the order differently, like, I would have easily won the match. Um, and that was for top eight of an open. And it was, like, more, nice of, a mechan- more of a mechanical error yeah. than it was a strategic error, just in not paying attention to what it was that was going on on that, like, basic fundamental side of, like, I need to pop this in order to get a land that I, so I don't have any color issues as it goes on. And uh, another recent example was I was uh, watching our uh, friend of the podcast, Hess, play. His opponent got blown out by a Star of Extinction playing Sultai. And then the next turn, he had like Wild Growth Walker and Jade Light Ranger. And he tapped two, both of his green, two green sources to cast Wild Growth Walker because he was mad about getting starred. And then he only had one green source left and couldn't cast the Jade Light Ranger, even though he had enough to do all of it had he just paid attention to it. And just got frustrated, got upset, didn't pay attention to the basics of like what colors he's using for what things, and then had to essentially take a turn off. Uh, from doing that, he did not win that game. Yep. Tapping your mana seems like a dumb thing. I had so many people say, I tapped wrong, I lost. God, I should have won that game. And the trick is, you shouldn't have won that game because you played poorly. And not tapping your mana wrong is a very easy skill to learn, and it's one you can practice in the beginning, and it shouldn't be a thing that people make a mistake on. Because normally it's not really a problem. Like, unless you're limited and you're playing like a five-color limited deck, Tapping your mana should be pretty easy for you. So focus on that. Let's talk about missed triggers, though. So we could go on about mana all day. Well, I do want to say one more okay. thing about the about the like fundamentals thing and everything else. Well, this is missed triggers part. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. But this is also just true of like sports in addition to like things like this, right? With sports. Yeah, I know, I know. But like in sports, they also do this, right? Like like LeBron James still shoots free throws every day, right? Like even though it's like the most fundamental thing that he does in his game, like you still have to practice even the most basic parts of it and all the way through. You yeah, know. him and Brady are on the court all the time doing it. Yeah, right. But, like, take it into music as well, right? Like, you know, if Taylor Swift is going to go out on tour, you know, she still rehearses playing 1989 or whatever, right? Like, it's not like, it doesn't matter how many thousands of times they played it or whatever. Like, you still got to go over it. Yeah, you still have to practice it 100%. Speaking of going over it, missed triggers. This is a huge one. Trey, what, what, what do you think about missed triggers just in Magic in general? What do you do to try not to miss them? Just try not to miss them. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but Great. you can do you can do simple things, right? Like you can set physical reminders for yourself. Like let's say you have something that happens during your upkeep, right? Like I think we've all seen somebody do this. A packed trigger, maybe a packed trigger, or uh, you know any kind of different upkeep triggers, and you put a, a dice or something on top of your deck so that when you reach to go and draw your card because you've forgotten your trigger, you're like, hold on a minute, something's going on that I'm supposed to have done. And then you can do it before you get yourself into trouble. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of different little kinds of tricks that you can do in that regard uh, 
like just short physical uh, shortcuts in order to try to remind yourself. Yeah, I I would say the uh, dice on top of the deck one is the perfect example of one. Uh, so the dice on top of the deck is the perfect example because everyone can do it and it's totally in the rules and basically makes it so you should never miss upkeep triggers, for example, right? Where you put a dice on top of your deck and then you can't draw your card because there's a dice on top of your deck and as such, you shouldn't miss these triggers. And pros do it, beginners do it. It's just a really simple trick. You just put a dice on top of your deck, you'll never miss your pack again unless you're tilting. When it comes to triggers in game, though, I think it's important just to calm down and focus on the actual game and make sure that you don't miss your beginning of combat triggers or your win your attack or when it dies because there are triggers that you can't miss and there are triggers that you can and sometimes it can get confusing and you're so used to it especially with the advent of arena you're never going to miss a trigger on arena in real life you can miss those triggers yeah and it's it's an interesting phenomenon that we're going to have to to see for people that are starting out because we're seeing people now that are coming to play paper magic who have only played arena Right, and there you're going to have to learn these like mechanical skills as you're coming in. And I, I played against a guy recently at the at the shop, who that was it. He'd only played on arena, and even like things like tapping his lands was a thing that he wasn't really sure like what to do because like even on arena like that happens automatically. Yeah. So he would just like go to cast a spell and just like put it on the battlefield. Yeah. And wasn't tapping his lands because like like the physical mechanical aspects of it weren't a skill that he had. Like there was nothing wrong with it. It was just a you have to like develop those kind of things, and it's a thing that you have to work on. One hundred percent, yeah. And I think it's an, it's interesting. First off, because the same thing happened with Moto players, right? Where like a criticism you would hear from people like, "Oh, I don't play Moto because like makes you forget your triggers," right? It's something that you just have to practice and work on, and it's an easy thing not to miss. But those are like some fundamental things that you should definitely be focusing on more so than things like, "Am I bluffing my opponent right now by holding this <laughs> land to play?" And it's like you're not Patrick Chapin, play your land. You know what I mean? Just you're not, not like, especially, I'll say if you're playing me, I'm just not going to give you respect if you're just, like, holding that land for multiple turns. I can sniff it out, right? right? It, it, it's also just funny, this quick moment, here's a free one. If you're trying to bluff to me, you have Sell the Wreckage, don't tap out of Settle the Wreckage mana. Like, if you tap your double white, I'm just like, okay, I'm attacking. <laughs> like, you know, you've been bluffing for multiple turns, you clearly don't have it. That's the only thing that matters. So, let's move on to the next one, though. Bluffing is an episode I'm sure we're going to do on and how it maybe doesn't matter super much. Or maybe we're not and we're just trying to convince you that we're going to do a bluffing episode. Or maybe it does matter a whole lot and I'm just (laughs) bad at it, so I'm trying to make you not do it. Uh, Don't worry what others think of you. It's important. Kind of like bluffing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, jokes aside there. Trey, what do I mean when I don't think what others think of you? Talking about my Instagram followers and my diet tea? Do you have Instagram followers? I have more Instagram followers than people I follow. (laughs) (laughs) Not saying anything, really. <laughs> but uh, This is where we go into giving examples of our ego when we're talking about not worrying about your ego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't get Instagram. It's so weird. <laughs> I really don't understand it. I'm so old. Yeah, that's me with Snapchat. I'm never going to get it. I'll tell you what Snapchat's for. I'm never going to get it. Filters. <laughs> that's what it's for. Um, not worrying about what think, people think of you. There's a couple of different ways that, that this comes up. You know, we can talk about it in-game and we can talk about it outside the game. Like, in-game, I think one of the key places where it happens is that you're trying to work your way through a turn and you're either playing too fast or halfway through making a decision, you decide you're making a wrong decision, right? And I, I, I can think of an example from today. I was playing on Arena and I was playing the card Revive Revenge, which is which already gives you an idea of the kind of nonsense that I was on uh, to start with. 
Um, Revive Revenge is a Orzhov split card that's uh, two mana, bring back a card, uh, creature card that costs three or less into play, or six mana, um, half your opponent's life and double your life. And I was playing against an aggro deck, and I had made the decision to cast it for the six mana side of it in order to double my life into half their life. And I only had five lands, and so I shocked in a land. And then after I shocked in the land, I made a realization that that was the wrong decision. That I should not cast it for that side of it. I should cast it for the two mana side of it. And but I look dumb already because I've shocked in a land and taken two damage in a way now that is ineffective. But that if I were to bring back one of the afterlife cards that I had in my graveyard, I'm actually going to gain more turns on the race than if I just gain the life. And it's also going to give me more options on another turn. And so the easy thing that I think we can fall into is just going ahead and casting the one that I originally decided. So then it makes me seemingly not look dumb. Because I shocked in for a reason. But then I'm just making a poorer decision. I'm allowing the fact that I made one dumb decision make me make two dumb decisions because I'm worried about what my opponent, who I can't even... Well, <laughs> in this particular no. situation, this is an arena, I can't even see them. <laughs> what does it matter? <laughs> is going to think about it. And so allowing those type of like emotional effects of like how people are going to react to what it is that you're doing affect your strategic decisions within the game can be a really like negative point and it's easy to do. Like you make one mistake and because you were gonna do something and then you change your mind and it's like, well yeah, but now everyone knows I made a mistake. It's like who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It happened at the uh RPDQ next to me. I was watching a game where this Esper player was playing as a bug player and he went down to tap two lands and it's like the opponent goes, You didn't take up your Teferi. It's just like, oh, okay. And then it's just like, oops, and then kept playing the game. It's like, you missed out on a card and untapping two lands. That's huge. Also not the end of the world. Life's gonna go on. Whatever. I, I, I'm now, I'm now down a card, but it's whatever. It's just like he killed my Teferi, except he didn't, right? Yeah. And, and it's a thing that we, we oftentimes as magic players react to that moment, not like I made a mistake. Like it sounds like that player reacted to it like I made a mistake. Yeah. And instead we react to it like everyone here thinks I'm a dummy. Yeah. That's... Everyone <laughs> thinks I'm horrible. Everyone thinks I'm terrible. Everyone thinks I have no value and I'm stupid. Yeah. And it's like, no. No, we just think you messed it up. Like, I don't know. <laughs> or you changed your mind. Or, you you know, whatever the situation might be. But the reaction that I see so often, and I've fallen into that too. I come over and be like, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Why yeah. did I do that? I'm so stupid. And it's like, well, no, I just made a mistake. It's not that big of a deal. 100%, yeah. It, it's huge. And I think we're going to segue off into the second part of this here in a second. But it, I want to touch on this. So you said about the way people perceive you. Because it's outside the game too. The way that people perceive you is important in the fact that you don't want to be a mean and bad person just in life. That's just probably, you know, probably not a good plan. Same for magic. You want to be nice and respectful of your opponents. Outside of that, if someone thinks you're good or bad at magic, or even worse, judges you as a person because you're good or bad at magic, probably aren't the best adjusted people in life, especially for that second part. Like, Let's say, for example, that someone will talk to you more because you are better at magic, will talk to you less because you are not as good as magic. If that is the reason they are deciding to talk to you and spend time with you, that is messed up and probably people that you shouldn't just want to hang out with in the first place, right? And it is a bad, unhealthy way to not only look at other people, but look at the game too, and it's putting too much importance on it. And those are normally also the people that make those small mistakes we're talking about. If you're at a local game store, there's definitely someone like that. Everyone I've been to has one. Well, and I think the flip side of what it is that we're talking about, right, is like, it's about ego in a way, right? 
the reason that we beat ourselves up over making these kind of mistakes is because it doesn't coincide with our perception of ourselves or how it is that we want to be viewed from from an egotistical standpoint. And and so it comes down to if if I make this mistake and people think that I'm dumb, then the inverse of that is I want people to think that I'm smart and I want people to think that I'm great because I made these great plays, right? Like you're trying to pump yourself up or your image up in that regard in some way when, you know, I think that there's a better approach to like, like creating value for yourself intrinsically, right? Like thinking about what the goals are that you have and what it is that you're trying to do and trying to accomplish and then how other people view you in that regard isn't as important, right? Like, are you playing magic to make people think that you're smart or are you playing magic because you like it and you think it's fun and you want to have a good time? And you are trying to meet certain particular competitive goals or whatever they might be. Because I imagine that odds are, if you stop and think about it, and it, I've had to evaluate myself in this regard too, like the reason that you're doing it is because it's fun and you like doing it and everything else. And you're not doing it to show off how smart you are. And so if you're not doing it to show off how smart you are, then when you do something that's a mistake, then what's the consequence? Because it didn't affect the reason that you do it in the first place. Yeah. And also, you know, we can even take that down like an, a little bit, another step, right? Where it's like, let's say you are doing that. Just because you made one mistake doesn't mean you're a dumb person. Just it, It's kind of like this thing that I, I had to talk to my brothers about recently, who are very young. Um, is that like good people do bad things and bad people do good things. Right? And you kind of have to sift through it. Same thing for magic. Good players make dumb plays. And dumb players make good plays. Right? Like, these things just happen. It's not like once you're good, you never make a mistake. It's just not how magic works. Trey, let's talk about one last thing on this point before we move on to the last point here. When I'm saying don't care what other people think about you, do you let how your peers view you affect your deck choice? No. Not at all? No. You don't, you don't, you, you'll play mono right even if I call your nice deck idiot and you draw all your lands? Yes. Okay, cool. Probably yeah. a smart, healthy approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, genuinely, I mean... You know, and and I'm a person who have played some silly decks <laughs> that that other people have said you're a dumb dumb, you know, for having done so. Mm-hmm. And I've won tournaments playing those decks, and I've gone to O2. I'm gonna go get a snack playing those decks, uh, you know. But it, it's really about trying to make those decisions, um, um, you know, of what you think is the best thing in order to do. Because it's a weird thing, right? Like like especially if you're trying to work and prepare for an event with a team or with a group of friends or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Right, like you're a group of people that are working towards a common goal, but unless it's a team event, in the end, you're accountable for your own decision. Like whether you decide to play whatever the general consensus is of what it is that you should play, or whether or not you decide to play something different, in the end, you have to own that decision. Like it was your choice, it was your decision, and whether or not you listen to somebody or didn't listen to somebody, both of those were a choice. You're not alleviating yourself from the responsibility of having made that decision by just doing the thing that everyone says you should do. So the inverse of it is, is you get all the good parts and all the bad parts of it one way or another, whatever the decision is. And so what somebody else thinks about it is information that you should listen to. But in the end, you have to make your own choice when the time comes, because you're the one that's going to have to sit there for eight hours or whatever and play it. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Perfect. Um, Let's move on to the last one, Trey, and it's that magic's a marathon, not a race. When we say that, I know it sounds kind of weird if you've never heard that before, but what we mean is one tournament, one game, one choice doesn't define you. We've been talking about this kind of overarchingly throughout all the tips. And this is why I said I think the last one's the most important one, because I think all of these do build towards this one. And that's that you're going to win and lose a lot in Magic. And the process of getting better at Magic takes a long time. 
Like, relative to the amount of time you're on Earth, it takes a long time. Yeah, and if you're like me, and I think you are, and you're not a runner, a marathon is a really long run, <laughs> mm-hmm. and a sprint is a really short run. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that that's making light of the situation, but it really is true. Like, like magic is a high-variance game, and you're going to have periods of time when you win a lot, and you're going to have periods of time when you lose a lot. And those are not always going to line up to be the same events or the same anything else. And they might be long stretches of time, right? You know, some of the best players in the world have had years where they won all the time. They just kept winning and kept winning. And then those same players for like the next five years didn't win anything. They lost all the time. And we still look at them as some of the best players in the world because of the good times that were there. It's just, and, and if you look at their whole career, you look at all of the magic that they've played, they've won more than they lost. But that doesn't mean that there weren't clumps of times, and sometimes clumps of times for years that they were losing. And that can happen to all of us. And if you put too much emphasis on one individual game, one individual decision, or one individual tournament, you're setting yourself up to allow that variance to dictate a lot of the way that you view your magic experience and, and potentially even view yourself. Um, but if you take a step back and look at it and look at the entire time that you've been playing Magic and then what you want to do in the entire time going forward on Magic, then that can shift the way that that one day impacts things. 100%, yeah. And ultimately, it really does help with all the things we've talked about too, right? Because when you think about it, this one PPTQ, this one IQ, this one SCG won't make or break me as a Magic player, right? If it does, you're letting it do that. And so... When you make the little mistakes, where you mess up on a fundamental, where you stress your deck choice and pick the wrong deck, when you do this and you let like you let others influence your sideboard because they joked about you know you're playing Cinder Vines or whatever, right? Those things aren't going to matter in the big picture. But when you make them all matter and you think about it like a sprint and make all the things happen, they compound and all these mistakes are even worse. And that's why looking at it as a marathon and realizing that this tournament doesn't matter. You know, when I went to the SCG in Indianapolis, I didn't care how I did. I wanted a day two so that I was playing against people who did day two because I wanted practice for the RPTQ. Like, people are saying, like, oh, you're X and Y, that's great, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool, don't care. Just want to make sure I'm in day two so that I can play against people who are doing well. And I only want to win so I can get more better practice, like, in real life for the RPTQ. It's all a stepping stone towards that. And even the RPTQ doesn't define me as a Magic player. Just because I got, what was it, like 12th or 11th at the RPTQ doesn't mean that I'm not a good Magic player. doesn't mean I am a good one. It's just another stepping stone. And it's just another thing that when I look back on, I'll know. And I had this happen in another card game I used to play. I can look back and I can say it's important to look at it that way. So when you look back, you're happier. Right. In, in both ways, right? Like you did well at the SCG in Indy, mm-hmm. right? And there were a lot of people that talked about it, talked about the Gates deck, and they talked about these kinds of things, and it's all well and good. You know, two months from now, no one's going to care. It's not even going to be a thing that even gets brought up or mentioned or anything again. And that same amount of disinterest would also apply had you done poorly at the same event, right? And and But if you do that kind of thing consistently, then that becomes a different kind of story, right? Like over a year or two years or whatever the time period might be then that can kind of change the perception that people have of of what that is. But like one individual thing, no one's going to care at all two years from now, right? Yeah. Like even for really accomplished players, like, you know, 
Like, I remember when Jerry Thompson won, like, uh, two SCGs in a weekend. Or, like, top eight of two SCGs in a weekend, right? And it was like, oh, man, what an unbelievable accomplishment back when there were two Opens on a weekend. It's like, nobody's ever done that. That's unbelievable. When's the last time you heard anybody talk about that in relation to him, right? Like, that was a thing that people talked about for, like, six months. But no one cares now. It doesn't matter. It wasn't a thing that was an important thing. And people don't think Jerry Thompson is a good player because he top eight two invitationals. They think he's a good player because of all of the magic that he's played throughout the course of his career. Yeah. Same same with Tom Ross, right? When he won the, he won the first Invitational, it's like, dang, what impressive. He wins the next Invitational, like the following one. No one's ever done that. No one's ever done that since then. People don't bring it up when they're talking about Tom Ross. No. Right? No, they're like, I like that Infect boy. Like, yeah. that's it, right, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's the whole deal. And so if those, if the accomplishments at the highest level are things that, you know, people don't think about or can't talk about or, or aren't really concerned about, then the same thing goes of the defeats, right? Like, if if that's the deal, if you have a weekend that goes poorly, then no one's going to care about it. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you shouldn't beat yourself up about it as well. Yeah. If you lose the Nexus five times in a row... You're not a bad magic player. No, it's unpleasant. But yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Just means you lost in the story. Like the different, like little draws and little things determine this stuff all the time. Yeah. And so I know that we're talking about a lot of different stuff here and we're trying to give tips. And the, the whole purpose of this, right, is just to make all of our magic playing experiences better. Right. And to make it that we're having a happy and fun time playing a game that we have a lot of fun playing. And if we can, like, work together to, like, avoid the things that can get us down about doing it, then all we're doing is just increasing the net positive that we have from playing the game. And you're going to get better, too. That's right. Yeah. It's just the truth. Yeah, so. because you're just you're stripping the things away that just make you bleed value. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Even Odds podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this. It was kind of targeted to people who are just starting to get on the grind. So, this might be stuff you've heard before, but hopefully... You're able to shed some light on it in a different perspective. And if these things you haven't thought about before, I think it's important to take a moment and think, am I falling into these traps? And if I am, what can I do to stop falling into these traps? I think it's very important. You know what else is important, Trey? The network. Hmm. That's right. So we're on the Constructed Criticism Network. We're on the network with lots of other podcasts. You might be listening to this on the Constructed Criticism feed right now where all the shows get uploaded. Or you might be listening to it on our own feed, the Even Odds podcast feed. So if you want to have all the networks in one convenient place, Constructive Criticism Network is the place to go there. If you'd like to just have this episode, or maybe this episode in Just CC, or this in Homeward Path, go check out iTunes and type in the individual name of the show and subscribe. That way you'll know subscribing is free. I recently wanted some people thought subscribing on iTunes costs money. It doesn't. It costs a button click. So, and your support is greatly appreciated. Love it. <laughs> uh, but the network has a bunch of shows on it. Constructive Criticism is the flagship show. They go over everything John Stern, Seth Manfield. Amazing show. Definitely have to check it out. Homeward Path, focusing on, kind of on the MTG dad life. He's preparing for GP Memphis right now. Interesting stuff going on there, especially balancing preparation and events and real life. Preparation for events and real life. Sorry about that. And then we have Common Knowledge. It's a popper podcast focusing on all things popper. Popper Challenge tomorrow, Trey. Foils busted, apparently. Uh, who knew Force the Will that's slightly worse might be good in a low-power format when pivotal cards matter? Popper's not low-power. How dare you? Ninjas forever. Disagree. <laughs> Did see Ninjas do well in Legacy in Autumn stream the other day. And then, finally, we have Hive Mind. It's a MTG talk show. If you like kind of laid-back conversations with people in the magic community, there's Hoogland, there's The Professor, Ashen Rose, everyone you can ever believe, Rhino Magic, they've all been on there. 
and more people coming every other week at Bi-Weekly Show. If you want to find Trey and tell Trey, I think the other side of the coin is this, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, feel free to blow me up at TreyMC on the Twitters. Love it. If you want to message me and say, man, your voice sounds so good last week when you were singing on the podcast, we all know. It's appreciated. You can tweet at me, at Mason E. Clark. If you want to tweet at the podcast, any questions, anything like that, follow Even Odds Pod, P-O-D there, on Twitter. We almost had 100 followers. I think we're going to do something special when we get to 100. So That sounds great. Also, me failing to get video of you doing the Spider-Man song is my greatest regret. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man, he can sing any song. Watch me segue to Wow OK. Catch you next week. Watch out. Here comes Wow OK. For those of you that didn't see, the official Magic Twitter account changed its name this week from Wizards Magic to at Magic Esports, and Twitter lost its mind. Pitchforks were grabbed, and the march began that this was the end of Paper Magic. Wow! Okay! As listeners of this podcast know, I love a good outrage, but wasn't it a couple of months ago that we were all gathering around and cheering and throwing a banquet because we were excited about Magic's rise as an esport and finally having some legitimacy? But now we're supposed to be mad that they're calling it an esport? That's like ordering a pizza and getting angry that there's cheese on it. This seems like outrage for outrage's sake. Paper Magic GPs have the highest attendance they've ever had historically. It's not going anywhere as we sit here right now. We just got to have a little patience. This is silly. It's almost as silly as creating a segment on your podcast every week where you yell at stuff. Wow. Okay. Roll with us next week. 